pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope. And there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Did you realize that many biological specimens are available for drug testing? I mean, we're familiar with blood testing, but other specimens like sweat, hair, saliva, and nails can be tested too. Pharmacogenetic testing is in its infancy, but it has the power of personalizing pain therapies. Medical testing to measure cholesterol levels or hormonal levels are pretty common. A needle is placed into our vein and blood is withdrawn for analysis. It can hurt, but it's necessary in order to ensure that we're healthy or to monitor the results of therapeutic medications. But how about testing our urine? This isn't common for most of us, but patients using opioids or other controlled substances for pain relief typically do have their urine checked. Why? Doctors want to make sure that patients are compliant with medicines like oxycodone, hydrocodone, or morphine, for example. In other words, we're checking to see that patients are taking these drugs safely by monitoring their presence in the urine. We also want to make sure that patients aren't using illegal substances like heroin. And today, the FDA is on a crusade to combat the rise of prescription opioid abuse, given that we've seen an estimated 16,500 deaths in 2010 that are linked to opioid medications. Jackie, our first guest, has been a nurse for 30 years and suffers from low back pain, leg pain, and knee pain. Opioids have given her the ability to work and enjoy her life. On today's show, Jackie will go through the process of having her urine tested, that is, how often it's done, whether anybody is watching, and what happens if she fails the test. Then we're joined once again by Dr. Howard Height. He's an addiction medicine specialist and pain specialist with over 20 years of clinical experience. Dr. Height will share his insights into the technical aspects aspects of urine drug testing, precautions used to decrease the risk of tampering with the sample, and whether eating muffins with lots of poppy seeds or even inhaling secondhand marijuana smoke will make the urine positive when it shouldn't be. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, The Pain Community, and Depot Med Incorporated. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Jackie's been a nurse for 30 years. She's done psychiatric nursing and today works as an intake nurse for a home care group. Jackie, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thanks a lot for having me. Last time, we talked about how effective opioids have been in allowing you to work as a nurse and whether testing your urine is, in fact, an invasion of privacy or unfair. And you said, really, you don't have a problem with it, especially if monitoring the urine makes the medicine available to you. The reason that physicians like myself use urine drug testing is to make sure that patients like yourself are compliant with 
prescribed opioids like OxyContin. And we monitor the use also of non-prescribed opioids or illicit substances like heroin or, or cocaine. We're very concerned about misuse, abuse, and addiction. And when I say misuse, I mean use of a medication like OxyContin other than as directed or indicated, which would mean, uh, for example, patients taking OxyContin three times a day or four times a day instead of two times a day as directed. Somebody who isn't happy with the result that they're getting with the legal medication may be trying to up it so that they get more relief. Right. I haven't increased my dosage. I think maybe 10 milligrams the whole time I've been on it. I don't, you know, I know there's supposed to be a tolerance but that's not the case for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do support the use of urine drug testing along with several uh, medical societies and state medical boards because, you know, the feeling is that urine drug testing can decrease controlled substance abuse. And when I say controlled substance, I mean things like opioids and, and benzodiazepines, like Valium, for example, and also reduce the risk of illicit drug use. Right. There are some estimates that uh, opioid abuse ranges from somewhere between 18 to 41 percent for chronic pain patients, which is really high. But other studies show quite low rates of abuse and addiction among patients who are using opioids, somewhere around slightly over 3 percent of all patients. Jackie, have you used anything else to monitor the safety of of the OxyContin and oxycodone you're taking? I had psychological testing also to make sure that it didn't fog your mind. It didn't cause you not to be able to think properly. Mm -hmm. And it actually was done at the hospital and by a psychologist, one test after another to make sure that you function properly, even though you're on the drug. That's right. Now, Jackie, take us through the process of testing. I mean, for example, how often do you have urine drug testing done? Usually once a month, sometimes longer can be as much as three months. Mm -hmm. And then somebody will say, oh, you haven't had it tested for three months. You need to do that. And it's fine. Right. I mean, that period of time is usually based on stratification of risk. That is, are patients at low risk, medium risk, or high risk? Jackie, do you urinate in a cup in, in the bathroom? Um, is anyone watching you? I and mean, what is it like? They just hand you a bottle. You give them a sample, and it's put into the bag while you watch mm-hmm. so that you know that it's your sample with right. your name on it. I've never had a problem, so nobody's ever said anything to me. Right. So I'm assuming that it always comes out okay. There's no reason why it shouldn't. And no one's watching you, right? I mean, you do this in the privacy of the bathroom. Yes. You know, I'm really glad to hear that you haven't had any problems with urine drug testing, but I've had some patients who haven't been compliant with their use of opioids or who've even tried to defeat the test. What if you just can't urinate? Well, the one day that that happened to me, I, I wasn't aware that they were going to need one, mm-hmm. and... I sat there and drank a cup of coffee (laughs) and waited around until I did go because I felt that there was a stigma attached if you'd say, I can't do this. Mm. So I just made sure I did it. Yeah. If available, doctors then review the results of the screening test that day or wait several days for the results to come back. Jackie, have you ever had any concerns about something showing up in your urine that was unexpected? Well, let's put it this way. Fill out a paper ahead of time, and you say if you've been taking something. Like one time, I was taking something because I was having dental work done, mm-hmm. and I'm very nervous about that. So yeah. I knew that, that there was lorazepam in my system. If you write that down ahead of time, that you actually did take something and you took it for a reason, then and it shows up in the screening, it's not a problem. Exactly. And in fact, I educate my patients and ask them to communicate with me. So in that circumstance, if they're going to receive a benzodiazepine like 
lorazepam or Ativan, or they're going to receive other opioids after surgery, then let me know. So if they show up in the urine test, we'll know why. And I can adjust the dose of their current medications if necessary. And finally, what's important for us to remember about using opioids for pain and having a system in place, like urine drug testing, for monitoring compliance with these medications? I absolutely think it's a necessary thing for people in that it's part of your responsibility. Mm -hmm. If you try everything else and nothing else works, is what happened in my circumstances. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't, I, if there was something else that I could do, I would be glad to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not something I wanted to do. It's something that allowed me to live my life and be comfortable. Very true. And I'm really glad to hear that you're doing that well. Jackie, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Howard Height once again. He's an addiction medicine specialist and pain specialist. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Laboratories, a leader in the science of toxicology and pharmacogenetics, is transforming the way healthcare professionals monitor and manage their patients' medication therapy. Through the use of advanced technology supported by research and education, Millennium helps practitioners personalize care for patients. For more information, please visit www.millenniumlabs.com My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare Connecting patients to top physicians in the United States Reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com Welcome back Dr. Howard Height is an addiction medicine specialist, pain specialist, and board-certified internist and gastroenterologist. For six years, he served as medical addictionologist for alcohol and drug services for Fairfax County, Virginia. Dr. Height served as an assistant professor of medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine and has lectured and published on both addiction medicine and pain management. Dr. Height, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Well, thank you for having me. Last time, we talked about the value of opioids in treating pain and the importance of monitoring the urine of patients who use opioids and other controlled substances that can be abused or diverted, for example. And Howard, how do your patients respond when you see them for the first time and say, you know, I think we need to incorporate urine drug monitoring? The overwhelming majority of them had no problem with it. Mm-hmm. Next question comes up, well, what if, Doc, I don't want to do the urine drug test? Right. I said, you're not obligated to do the urine drug test under any circumstances. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to, but I have to let you know that if you choose not to do it, it will limit my options in treating you probably with Schedule two medications such as opioids. Uh-huh. So it's your choice what you want to do. It's always your choice. Exactly. Now, Howard, I've had some patients, though, who will then say to me, well, Dr. Christo, I feel like you're punishing me or you're not being fair. No. The key in that term is to say, I'm not picking you out because you're green, red, blue, striped, or that you're this religion, that culture. I'm doing it on every patient in my practice. And the frequency I do my tests is dependent upon the clinical situation. 
and then you cannot, and I emphasize, cannot be accused of profiling your patient. That's right. We test patients based on level of risk, and we use our assessment of patients initially, as well as certain risk assessment tools. And what I mean by that is, if patients are assessed at a low level of risk, or, or misuse that is, meaning that they have no past or, or current history of substance abuse, well, then we might test their urine once every six months. Whereas if they're at medium risk, meaning that they have a history of treated substance abuse, or, or high risk, meaning meaning that they have active substance abuse, well, those patients then might need a minimum of testing once every three months or even sooner than that. Dr. Height, do you feel that all patients prescribed opioids should be screened or or just those who are on long-term opioid therapy? That is, greater than three months or so. I think all patients who are prescribed Schedule II medications for a chronic reason, not acute reason, Mm -hmm. should have a urine drug screen and or definitive testing by another method. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about screening and more definitive testing later on in the show. By the way, drugs that are considered controlled substances are divided into five schedules based on their medical use and relative potential for abuse by the Drug Enforcement Agency. For example, Schedule II drugs, which Dr. Height mentioned, are drugs like codeine, morphine, hydrocodone, and oxycodone, as well as uh, drugs like amphetamine, for example, Adderall. Howard, let's now talk about cancer patients and palliative care patients needing urine drug testing, because this is a subject of debate, and that is that, you know, many feel that that patients who have cancer and pain and need opioids really don't need urine drug testing. But with the advances in cancer therapy today, more and more patients with cancer are living longer. What are your thoughts? I 100% disagree with that. In fact, I had a debate many years ago with June Dahl, who's very prominent in the palliative care movement, Mm -hmm. is patients who have cancer are no different in regards to their needs as a patient who had non-cancer pain. And if they're abusing their medications, they're not taking the best quality of life possible during the days or months or weeks that they have left. Mm -hmm. Also, this medicine could be diverted by their nephew, Johnny, who comes in and takes their medicines. So it's their benefit to have the same standards as a non-cancer patient you may be a little bit more open to explanations with a cancer patient, mm-hmm. but they still deserve to have the same monitoring that is a non-cancer patient would have. Yeah, you know, I actually agree with that. I felt that monitoring uh, is important for patient safety to ensure that they aren't using opioids prescribed by another physician or that they're not using street drugs or that someone, as you said, is not selling the drugs that we give to them for pain control. Howard, I've had a couple of oncologists and palliative care physicians come to me and say, you know, urine drug testing in dying cancer patients is absolutely ludicrous. I'm not using the test punitively. I'm using the test to help them. And it may come up that I'll use the urine drug test and the results of the urine test to be their advocate in a medical legal situation, such as Social Security application, mm-hmm. disability application, divorce proceeding, child custody. So there's many ways that a urine drug test that is appropriately positive and appropriately negative, whether the patient has cancer or not, yeah. can be very helpful for me being advocate for my patient in certain situations. It's not just criminal behavior that I'm monitoring. Right. I could use the urine drug test, which is an objective test in many, many areas in order to help my patient if it comes up. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about before, it's important to present the urine drug test as a routine aspect of care, like testing blood sugars, for example, in diabetic patients. Now, Dr. Height, we certainly can use other specimens for drug testing, like blood, sweat, hair, and saliva. What makes urine the preferred test? It's non-invasive to test. 
It typically has one to three days for most drugs and or their metabolites mm-hmm. to be uh, appropriately positive if present. Yeah. It's less costly than serum blood testing. Now, Howard, let's talk about the test. I mean, first, there's a routine screening panel test that's called an immunoassay test, which tests whether a substance is present or not and doesn't provide the concentration of a drug or its metabolite. But elaborate on that for us. A routine screening panel is generally could be called point-of-care testing. Mm-hmm. And let me clarify. The sample can either be sent to the lab or can be analyzed in the office. If it's analyzed in the office, it's called point-of-care testing. Point-of-care testing is mainly used to check whether illicit substances have been taken or whether a patient has taken a controlled substance recently that has not been prescribed. But there are very limitations to doing point-of-care testing, which is a high rate of false negatives and false positives. Mm-hmm. And also, it doesn't give you the specific drug in an opioid class. Right. In pain management, you have to know the specific drug that is being used and whether it's your drug that's being prescribed that is positive. With qualitative screening or point-of-care testing, all you get is a class of drugs, which is opiates or opioids, being positive. But it doesn't tell you which one. Mm -hmm. In order to determine which one, you have to go to more definitive testing called quantitative testing. That's right. So the point-of-care testing or the you know, immunoassay test will test for, say, for example, the natural opioids like morphine and codeine, but can't distinguish between them. And it also doesn't give you information about whether patients are using fentanyl, for example, hydrocodone, hydromorphone. We mainly use point-of-care testing uh, as a warning of actual or, or potential abuse and deterring drug-seeking patients. One has to know that generally the point-of-care testing is reliable to pick up drugs such as morphine and clothing and report them as positive. It's reliably unreliable to pick up semi-synthetic opioids such as oxycodone, hydrocodone, etc., mm-hmm. and does not pick up at all synthetic opioids such as methadone or fentanyl. Yeah. So you have to know the limitations of the particular test. You also have to know that point-of-care testing is associated with a lot of false positives and false negatives. The false negatives and false positives could range anywhere from 10% up to 40%. Mm-hmm. So the key with using point-of-care testing, again, know what you're trying to do with the test, what information you're trying to get. It's very helpful if you want some immediate information, but I would not make a major clinical decision without doing definitive testing, and that's the key. Yeah. But if, I, if I'm going to make a major change or start an opioid medication with a patient, I want definitive testing. Absolutely. And to summarize, the routine screening test is done in the office called point-of-care testing in a cup or in the office called point-of-care testing via a, a desktop analyzer or that specimen can be sent to the lab. Either way, the tests are still limited. And by the way, the results of the screening test, if done in the office, are typically available that day. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Hyde about the comprehensive urine drug test or the confirmatory testing. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. DepoMed Incorporated, a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing products to treat pain and other central nervous system conditions. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact 
on healthcare, and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. Howard, let's now talk about the confirmatory urine testing. I mean, that's what helps us detect the presence or absence of a specific drug or its metabolite. And that would be a specific drug like oxycodone or hydrocodone or, or marijuana, for example. Quantitative testing gives you more exact tests of what exactly is in the urine, whether it be a parent drug, a metabolite, or even a contaminant of manufacturing of a particular drug. That's right. And technically, we say this test is highly sensitive and specific, and the results can take sometimes several days or as little as 24 hours. Now, Howard, I've had a patient say to me, you know, look, my urine is positive for an opioid because I was eating muffins with lots and lots of poppy seeds. How likely is that? I get away from that when I evaluate the patient initially. I tell them, do you eat bagels? I say, yes. What type of bagels do you eat? And if they say poppy seed, I said, look, I'm kind of old. It's hard for me to take it. Will you please switch to sesame seed bagel? <laughs> if you're going to take something for a cold, will you let me know? And part of your evaluation is know all the medicines that your patients are on right. prescribed by you or other physicians and let your patient know how important it is for you to know all these medications mm-hmm. because there could be cross-reactivity, could be drug-drug interaction that may cause bad consequences for your patient. Absolutely. Now, Howard, I've also had a patient come to me and say, look, you know, my urine is positive for marijuana because I've inhaled secondhand smoke from a friend. I've heard that too. You must be the same patient. What I say (laughs) to that patient is, you know, if you go into a phone booth and 50 of your friends are in that phone booth smoking marijuana, Mm -hmm. and you're not smoking marijuana in that phone booth, by passive inhalation, because of the cutoff point, you will not become positive for that. But second, you really shouldn't be in a phone booth with 50 of your friends where they're smoking marijuana. <laughs> I do not accept that they were just at a, at a party mm-hmm. and they're just inhaling the smoke that was in the, in the atmosphere. Yeah. If it's positive because of the cutoff point, it is generally that the patient has taken uh, marijuana products. Absolutely. And Howard, I, I know you have a lot of patient stories. Would you share one with us? I have patients you know, that have come back definitive testing positive for morphine, morphine is a metabolite of heroin. Mm-hmm. You will not pick up heroin in a, in a urine drug test. And if you pick that up in a urine drug test, the patient flunked a urine drug test and also flunked an IQ test because <laughs> they shot up right before seeing you. <laughs> Let's say the patient insists that it's not their urine and, and I tested it and I tested it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, again, I have to have a sense of humor of what I do. I right. look at the patient and say, gee, what part of me do you think is stupid? Do you think my ears are funny? My nose is funny? I said, it is what it is. And unless we come to terms with honesty, I can't really prescribe to you a controlled substance such as an opioid. You emphasize you're there to help the patient. Right. How many patients who take care of endocrine patients with diabetes, how many patients get fired because they come in and say, Doc, I did or did not eat that chocolate cake last night. Same, same principle. That's right. So if there's an unexpected result in a patient's urine, we should open up a dialogue between them rather than just to fire them from our practice. Before we close, Howard, what's important for us to remember about using opioids for pain and having a system in place like urine drug testing for monitoring compliance with these medicines? One is to recognize and tell your patient it is a therapeutic trial of a particular medicine Mm -hmm. to improve your quality of life. Not a God-given right that once you start the medicine, that you keep on it forever 
regardless of how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So again, know the strengths and limitations of your test and know what you're trying to get out of that information and will the urine drug test give you that information, positive or negative, in order for you to better take care of your patient and make good, solid, patient-centered clinical decisions. Exactly. Both of us believe that urine drug testing is essential in pain medicine. And I want to thank you, Howard, for joining us today on Eggs and Gains. Thank you very much for having me. Be well. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.